to episode eight of Oh This Podcast. Thank you for joining us, Steve. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm I'm just thrilled to be here for our ESPN eight the Ocho episode. ESPN eight the Ocho. I think it's actually more fitting if you go back to Bears history. Cade McNown, number eight, Ooh. one of the the best Bears draft picks ever. <laughs> um, that they've certainly ever... certainly in the annals of fantastic draft picks. Yeah, it's in the realm of like amazing stuff, but. Before we dig too much into the show, I want to give some housekeeping details, everybody. If you haven't done so, go check out the newly improved uh, Oh This Podcast website. It is awesome. It's got all of our episodes there, and it's going to have all the future episodes there, and it's going to have blog posts, and you can take and find out all that you want to know about this Grease campaign that we've got going on that uh, (laughs) Steve's going here. Uh, If you take and go to the website and then go to our Patreon uh, site as well, you can find out how you can support us, get to that goal that we need to do to dedicate – an entire special edition show where Steve reviews the movie Grease. Again, you haven't heard, follow us, uh, follow and look at episode six to take and understand a little bit about what that is. Um, but also do us a huge favor. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We like to talk to people on the interwebs. Uh, yes, Steve, indeed. yeah, what else do we got? What else do we have going? Oh, well, actually, I'd like, well, real quick, uh, shout out to my good friend, uh, Eric Osborne, who engaged uh, – in a lively debate with me the other day about uh, uh, Scooby-Doo and my choices of that uh, as one of my favorite cartoons. And I'm gonna, I would like to tell him that he can go pound sand and that uh, I'm going to stand by my Scooby-Doo pick. And uh, I, he's also given me the uh, inspiration for a future episode. So uh, we'll be uh, chatting about a future topic uh, and he'll know damn well what, where that came from. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks Eric for the support. <laughs> um, before like, Let's just talk about it. Steve, what are we drinking tonight? What is the beer of the week? We are drinking a delicious springtime beer from one of uh, one of personally one of my favorite breweries to go to, and that is uh, Lagunitas Brewing Company. And we are drinking uh, a little something something, uh, which is a, a nice hoppy wheat ale uh, that they uh, that it's a year round distribution, but I find it to be particularly enjoyable in the uh, springtime here. Out here in San Jose, it's about, uh, I don't know, 65, 68 degrees or so. It just kind of, uh, I was out, uh, you know, wandering around uh, earlier this afternoon, and I thought, you know what, that's a, uh, this is a perfect time to bust this one out. So, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, just like I said, a balanced hoppy wheat beer. Uh, It comes in about 7.5% alcohol, and uh, it's, you know, just a blend of uh, different hops, and uh, it's a, excuse me. It's a uh, excellent uh, day drinking beer, and I'm not a big fan of day drinking, but uh, this is one that I particularly enjoy for a uh, a springtime baseball game or uh, mowing you know, the lawn. Mowing the lawn, yeah, it's a it's a very enjoyable beer, and it hides its alcohol. Uh, you know, kind of it's a little deceptive that it jumps up at you at seven and a half percent, but uh, 98 on Rate Beer, 93 on Beer Advocate. Uh, yeah, just a uh, another really solid entry into our beer list, and. Uh, Lagunitas uh, kind of covers us on both ends too, because uh, not only are they they are based out here just north of uh, San Francisco, uh, but they also have a gargantuan production facility and tap room and brewery in uh, in Chicago. Uh, the founder of the company is from the Chicago area, so kind of covers uh, both of our uh, current uh, resident territories. So uh, the recording yeah. zones, that's perfect. That's here's to Lagunitas, and uh, let's uh, get the show on the road. Awesome, awesome. So. We got a little bit of a clip there. Um, I think it's only fitting that we had to talk about uh, what happened in the music world today, or not today, over this past weekend. Um, as a memorial, as you and I are huge music fans, um, for those that don't already know that, uh, basically the father of rock and roll, Chuck Berry, uh, passed away at the age of 90 this weekend. Um, and, man, what were the, your initial thoughts when you heard that news? I know some, like, I know how it hit me. Uh, what were your some of your initial thoughts? Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm not. Uh, uh, it's a, it's disappointing. I mean, he's a hugely influential guitarist and a. Uh, I mean, just a a brilliant musician. Um, and yeah, so I mean, obviously, it's disappointing. Uh, but uh, you know, we've all got our our time stamp, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I mean, anytime somebody like that or or any you know kind of influential musician for that matter that. Uh, you know, passes away that you have a connection to. It's uh, it's definitely a tough, uh, a tough scenario to kind of work through a little bit. Not that uh, you know, it, it changes your day to day, but you just kind of get to thinking. And it's like, uh, it's also a good time to review, though. It's a good time to go back on 
catalogs and and listen to some listen to some tunes and uh, kind of celebrate it a little bit too. Yeah, I think it's I, I think you hit it the nail right on the head. I remember just like Chuck Berry, like again we've talked about on different episodes and stuff like that with uh, road trips and other things that we've done and things of that nature. When I Chuck Berry was also on one of the those those magic. Uh, tapes in the Ferrar household as we were taking and driving down on road trips. So I listened to a lot of it. And then, you know, that clip that we alluded to as we started off the show was from, you know, back to the future and to get into pop culture and to take and do like the iconic stuff that Chuck Berry did was absolutely amazing. He changed it with the duck walk and you can see it like oh, his yeah. influences just in terms of musical style and coming up and then the segregation and taking in being, you know, just all the different like barriers he broke to um, just like the American music is insane. But like you can see like his I don't know if it's just his influence, but how that it's touched like other bands and people that are going from there. I well, I can think yeah. right off the bat of one person who comes to mind that well, is a disciple. It's, it's, probably, it's Angus. It's probably John Lennon, right? Oh, no. I was thinking of Angus Young. I was thinking of oh, ACDC. In the, in the swag category, most definitely. It, well, in the playing style, the swag, yep. everything. But, yeah, I think of that. But when I think of different things of, like, Chuck Berry was one of these icons that took and did for music what is amazing. Think about, like, I think where you're trying to go with this is what are some other influential music people, icons that have, you know, shape music in such a way that um they're not only legends they're paranormal at that point in turn i think john lennon was one yeah yeah i mean from a from just from going back to chuck berry for a minute i mean you have i I mentioned john lennon i mean john lennon i believe once said uh, something along the lines of if you were to you know give rock and roll another name you'd probably call it you might call it chuck berry Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, i mean obviously uh, i think also keith richards from the rolling stones uh said that basically all the riffs that he's ever come up with are just rip-offs of Chuck Berry riffs. So, uh, I mean, and right there, right then and there, you would, you would have two musicians that you would consider probably high, high up there on the uh, influence uh, rating, you know, with John Lennon and, you know, being probably half of, or, you know, one third of some of the greatest uh, musical writing uh, ever to hit the earth. Absolutely. Keith Richards, obviously, you know, no slouch either. I mean, the Rolling Stones are, you know, one of the most, you know, longest and successful rock bands that have ever touched the touched the earth. So, yeah. um, it's a uh, kind of a, a long, a long lineage of, uh, of musical history with Chuck Berry, and to put him in there, I mean, he's certainly one of the probably the cornerstones of uh, rock and roll music. Um, but yeah, I mean, going to other influential musicians, um, I mean, just strictly from the standpoint of uh, guitar playing, as you and I both uh, mm-hmm. you know, discussed in the past, uh, it's got to be uh, Jimi Hendrix, James Marshall Hendrix. Yep. If, you're, if, you're, if you're nasty. If you're nasty. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, I mean, for his guitar playing most certainly uh, revolutionized electric guitar uh, you know, for, for the better, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's a his his usage of feedback and just i mean the virtuosity of his play uh incorporating blues and everything else into into his music is just you you're once if you were there and uh, i was not fortunate enough to be born there i mean i wish i was uh, to see some of that but uh i mean it's it transcends time uh i mean you can you can listen to a Jimi hendrix track right now in 2017 and be transported back you know 40 50 years or 50 years or whatever and uh uh you'd consider it to be some of the mo- you know top-notch guitar playing of present time let alone you know 50 years ago yeah i think the one of the things that we have to take and look at when we see like a guitar icon or just a musician somebody who's influenced it uh the way that chuck berry i think of like we just saw last year we had the untimely death of prince and what he had done for music in terms of purple rain and just different um you know like pushing it forward we can go talk about other songwriters who were just like icon. Like I'd say that there were more so icons that, you know, Chuck lived a like long life and, you know, 90 years is long, but I think of like Kurt Cobain who was cut short. I think of John Lennon who was cut short. And I think of these people that changed how songwriting was in the creative process. And, you know, to be honest, didn't give a fuck what people said. And, and that's a great thing. Um, to think about because it wasn't always about the money it was uh, it was about the songs and the art and 
yeah, the money came and, you know, especially, you know, different after a while money came and stuff like that. But these are people that did it for the love of what they were doing. Another like icon that I can think of just around that time, just doing it more on the countryside would have been Johnny Cash, like is another person oh, yeah. who is, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of what it meant um, for it. And to be honest, like Chuck Berry was uh, a great musician, but he also had some off the, you know, some not so great parts of life, which I think, we, I think we've all had in the music space, but uh, to be able to be that creative and that vibrant for that long to write so many great songs, you know, I mean, Roll Over Beethoven was covered by the Beatles too, right? Like different songs that were like anything that Johnny B. Good was a Grateful Dead cover as well. Like there have been just amazing derivatives of his work that I think will go on for the test of time. I think, didn't you see something like Carl Sagan or someone was saying that your music is actually going to live on forever because they set it up with some of the space. Oh yeah they, yeah. they put it on the Voyager or something like that. Uh, yeah. So like he's, his music is on one of the spacecraft that's out basically just exploring the universe and they expect it to be out there for like a billion years or something. Like yeah. That. And I mean, it, to think about that, you don't hear about Rick Astley or Nickelback <laughs> or anybody like that, getting their stuff put onto it. Rick a... Astley might not be a bad choice. He's never going to give up. Yeah. He's, <laughs> but like, I can't imagine, um, what it would be like to take and go on tour with some of these guys. But I think another, like some other people that are icons that are a little underrated that, you know, came up in that era. One of them is Buddy Holly, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and another one cut short too. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, who was it that, uh, it was Merle Haggard, I think that was playing with him and, and said uh, when, when, because they were, you know, they were flying and Merle Haggard wasn't going to, he wasn't either going to the next gig or something along the lines and, they, he made a joke, something along the lines of, uh, oh, you know, I, someone said, I think Buddy Holly said to him, I hope your bus crashes. And, I, and Merle Haggard said, uh, oh, I hope your plane crashes. And Just as a joke. And his plane crashed. Yeah. It's a I mean, that that sucks. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you're not doing that uh, with ill intentions. But, uh, you know, that just goes to show, you know, some of the uncertainty of uh, of life. I mean, I, I, another thing, going back to Buddy Holly, or not Buddy Holly, uh, going back to Chuck Berry again, though is uh one thing that i found really cool um is that in most of his gigs that he would play like in his later years and i don't know how far this goes back uh but he would insist on playing with a like with local musicians okay rather than going out and like bringing his own backing band and everything which i think is pretty fucking cool because i mean not only does it give guys who are local an opportunity to play with like uh you know a legend but it also just kind of show like it, it the communal aspects of music. It's like bring in a bunch of guys who understand what's going on and just let them, you know, create something together. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think to be honest, also one of the things that I'm reading about right now is wasn't Chuck Berry, one of the first people to be inaugurated into the rock and roll hall of fame. I got to imagine. So. I think he would have been like, you know, and they're showing right now as I'm looking at this, Keith Richards is the one who inducted him into the hall of fame. I mean, that's just like, that's just proof in the sauce that he is, um, he will have a legacy that will go transcend the test of time in terms of the musical side of like Johnny be good is one of the hardest tracks to actually play. It's cause it's so fast and so amazing. But um, yeah, I wish we could get like a thousand or 10,000 guitar players to just play like a massive opus of Johnny be good <laughs> at the same time. That would be freaking, that'd be a great tribute uh, that we might have to work on. So yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, we'll be the first two and then, uh, you know, we'll we'll get out there, you know, Keith Richards, you know, uh, maybe John Petrucci, get some, uh, you know, Joe Bonamassa. We'll, hey, you guys want to, you know, if you're listening, let's get in on this. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's get shit going. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, what are some other icons that you, you know, music wise that you think have uh, are similar to Chuck Berry in that sense of like inspiration to yourself? Yeah. Um, and one that has, you know, grown on me, um, cause I'm, I'm not a huge, uh, I, I definitely agree with like your, your Johnny Cash assessment. That's a guy who has certainly grown on me as I've gotten older because mm -hmm. I'm not a, like I said, I'm not a huge country music fan, but his, his ability to, uh, span genres is, or was very impressive, especially with like his later stuff where he was doing different uh, cover songs and things like that. I mean, it was just awesome work um but i think be, beyond that um and another one again that i'm not uh i wasn't like a huge fan of when i was a child but like elvis presley mm -hmm. just uh i mean an absolute 
dynamo as far as where from going from where he started to where he finished uh musically is just a, a complete uh you know just spanning of uh talent and genre almost and uh, one of those guys who's you know obviously lives on you know forever through you know, the mem- you know musical memories of so many people but uh, one that i was a you know a late catch on to um and uh, yeah i mean i have a good friend who's a, just a gargantuan uh elvis presley fan and uh, so part of part of that you know my experience into it is like oh you know let's let's check this out you know my you know mikey likes it so i'm gonna give it a shot sure and yeah, I mean that's something where it's like, holy hell! Like this dude can absolutely murder it, and uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a major one that uh, jumps out at me as far as uh, being a a cornerstone of uh, music history. Yeah, I think that there's there's probably two other ones that um, they're living right now that will take and be kind of the next ones who are like those uh, like um, iconoclast type of. Uh, like guitar gods and legends that when that have touched music that has been just influential to myself and just like I know millions of people and they're all so like it's it's funny because everybody that I can think of right now has done it in a way where they've touched rhythm and blues and that would be you know Eric Clapton and what he's done uh and all the different things that he's taken and put out over the years in terms of with all the different bands and the solo work. And then also Jimmy page, like those are two of them. Like, and then you can say Jeff Beck and there's like this whole cluster of people. But I guess like the interesting part is as we get older, as we kids who grew up listening to what we would consider classic rock get older, all these legends are going to start to pass away. Do we think that there's any, um, any current generation of musicians that are going to be like that for anybody like that is growing up listening to like classic rock right now? I'd say like the Foo Fighters would probably be that, but yeah, the Foo Fighters are probably closest to that. And um, that's the crazy thing too, is like, cause like every time I'll come back into Chicago and I'll bounce between FM stations and they have what 97.1 or 96.9, the drive. Yeah. And I hear Nirvana on, on that now. And it's like, shit like i mean i didn't grow up and you know i was i was very young during uh nirvana's you know heyday obviously absolutely uh, had a very short run um and dave you know dave Grohl started foo fighters very shortly thereafter it's like shit man like their their biggest stuff you know when they got big started you know 95 through 97 98 it's like that's classic rock now and i and then you realize it's like that is 20 plus years old and you're like all right well i guess it kind of is when you consider that if stuff was coming out in the late 60s early 70s and then when you were a kid it was classic rock and oh wait it was late 80s and early 90s when you're growing up it's like wow you know this this stuff really does become classic after a period of time so yeah i think foo fighters would be one um i'm partial to the black keys they're a little bit more recent but i think that they might be a band that goes down um, as far as classic rock, they have a very classic rock sound, though. I mean, they play a lot of right. uh, blues-based rock and roll. So uh, I think that's they're a, they're one that would would probably stick around at least for me. Yeah, but it'll yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see like what bands will take and actually stand the test of time. You know, because I think Pearl Jam is going to be one of them. I think Eddie oh, Vedder, yeah, Eddie the- Vedder is going to be definitely one of those people that's going to take and assume that um, that role, that like icono class kind of thing, but. I don't know. I don't think that there's a ton of them. So uh. there's definitely not a ton, and and part of it I think is because when you're in that moment, you don't realize it, um, mm-hmm. just because it's, you know, the you're you're just not thinking of it in that manner. Uh, and then I think another part of it is that the quality of music has declined to an extent. Yeah, it's the- changed. It's it's changed from an album base to, you know, get the single, get up the iTunes, get on the Voice, get on this, and do that there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think, um, one of the things that we want to take and say is again, uh, Chuck Berry, thank you for everything you have done, uh, for music to influence many generations of musicians, guitar players and everything. And your art will live on forever. And thank you from Steve and me for doing that. So you can inspire us to take and play. I think it's been, uh, absolutely, uh, tremendous and may you rest in peace, Chuck. Yes, sir. Awesome. I want to party with you. Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. No Messina right here. We just got pure Kenny. Just pure Kenny, pure Kenny. What do we got? Okay, Steve, why are we talking? What do we care about well, Kenny Loggins? Well, I think part of this uh, ties in with the uh, tasty beer that we're drinking today. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's springtime. Things are warming up. Things are thawing out. And uh, it's about time to uh, pick up the sticks and uh, 
make a little jaunt out to your uh, local uh, golf establishment and maybe start uh, hitting some golf balls into the water, hitting balls off trees, hitting balls at people and unintentionally or intentionally, I'm not sure, possibly putting one off a house. Um, you know, it just depends on your, your level of skill. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of itching to uh, get out there and uh, play a little golf. How about you? No, <laughs> not not <laughs> not because I don't like it, but it's because I'm not that good at it. Like I know I went a few times last year for the first time in a, a long time. But when I when I moved back to Chicago, I didn't have any clubs. And so I picked up uh, my dad's set of clubs and it's irons and they're not fitted. The last time I when I was a kid, I used to be good at golf, like really good. Like I was able I won a juniors championship when I was in like fourth grade or fifth grade. Damn. Um, well, because I got stung by a bee on the last hole, and I would have probably two putted out. Ah, so that's got there it is, and that, that and that'll be a future topic is golf excuses. Hey, it's not my fault, but I got the trophy on there. So uh, <laughs> that was when my grandfather was the caddy. But I really didn't play much in high school football. Like I was more into contact sports, and golf didn't have as much contact as I wanted. Uh, and I started to grow, and the clubs didn't fit. So it was just like a weird thing. Um, but then when I moved back to Chicago, I got these clubs and I went out to the driving range to relax after work and consecutively the clubs had everything except for a set of, uh, for a driver. And so I went out to Goldsmith, got a driver, went, started hacking, and then I shattered the head <laughs> of the driver. I'm like, okay, how'd that go? So I'm like, okay. So I took it back and returned it to the guys at Goldsmith and they're like, what the heck did, you, did do? you do? The face <laughs> of the driver completely shattered off. So like, yeah, I like to return this club. <laughs> and they're like, uh, what did, what? Okay. So they got me a new club and then I take it out to the driving range again. I don't know what happened. I shattered that head too. And so I'm already two, two weeks, two golf clubs in. And I'm just like, this golf thing might be getting more expensive than I thought. Fortunately, I was buying cheaper clubs. So I go back yeah. to the same golf Smith and the guy's like, what the heck are you doing to these clubs? We're running into user error at this point. No, I say we're running into product <laughs> testing because if you would have given me a job as the golf t club tester, I would have you were testing its durability. Yes, exactly. It in the woods. I wasn't smacking it, it on the ground or anything like that. I was just whacking and hacking and it just did that. So they gave me a used club. They gave me a used Callaway. They're like, this guy can't break a Callaway. So I take in. I go to the driving range and I don't know what happened, but I broke it again. So at the after the third club breaking, I'm like, okay, I think this might be on me. I'm not gonna take this back. I'm gonna take and write that as a loss, um, and then give up. But yeah, that's my golf stories as I come back <laughs> for a little bit. But yes, I mean, yeah, that's obviously a negative uh, golf experience. And see, for me, no, like, I, I, I say that's a positive golf experience <laughs> with negative outcomes. Yeah, I okay, enjoyed we'll myself. Yeah, you you learn something. You learn <laughs> that you know how to break a driver. Yep. <laughs> um, no, for me, golf uh, golf was something that also came on a little bit later in, in life for me. Uh, I started playing when I was in college, um, really just because I was looking for something to do, um, and uh, that's I, I picked up the game. And then I actually wound up uh, being fortunate enough to work at a golf course uh, when you know when I was going through college. So. Um, I had ample opportunity to go out there and, uh, and play and I got my game to a decent point. I'm not a great golfer. Um, but I you know, I, I got the, uh, you know, down, I could shoot, uh, you know, like a mid eighties and be pretty happy with it, uh, which is, you know, I think probably the best I'll ever do. Um, I don't ever anticipate that I'll get back to that level. Um, but, uh, golf for me is, is like a double, it's a double edged sword, um, because I love being out playing golf. Um, it's, uh, a relaxing thing for me. I go out and play with, you know, buddies. It's a, it's a good time. You know, you drink a beer, maybe a Lagunita is a little something, something, and uh, you just kind of uh, sit back and enjoy yourself. On the other hand, I am just horrendously hard on myself. Yes, um, yes just, you are. And <laughs> just about anything I do, um, you know, and uh, yeah, so golf uh, exercises that, uh, that, you know, self-doubt muscle that, that you have. Serenity and now. <laughs> where I, where I then go about to swear and or curse my, curse myself out for just about anything I screw up. Um, so it, uh, it, it, it keeps me humble, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's in, it's a, just a game where uh, yeah, I'm bouncing back and forth and uh, that it's, it's a, certainly a mental game uh, that you really have to work through. Like I, I have crazy respect for, uh, professionals, professionals yeah or, or 
or even help. professional putt putt guys like yeah that. I, well i uh, don't get me started on putt putt i'm all <laughs> about the putt putt but uh just the i mean I don't play for money. I don't play for, you know, anything other than just going out and having a good time. But it's like, there's that, I guess that inner competitiveness that comes out in me where it's like, all right, if I don't get this, you know, if I don't make this putt, if I don't hit this shot, I'm just going to be pissed off for, you know, X amount of time because for some reason it's drumming up this emotion in me. And it's for a, a, a seemingly mundane looking game. It is one of those things where it just uh, it has the ability to drive me a little nuts. Yeah, I got some funny stories. I played. Uh, I went and gonna not you know totally embarrass him, but uh, our buddy Happy Gilmore whole lot. Uh, we went out to Top Golf <laughs> and literally we're sitting there. He just pulls up the club and does that running kind of like stance and bombs it like two fifty. But it always had this like massive, massive like slice like. You could see it started way from the right. It went in to the left and then ended up way back farther right. It was like the worst freaking slice ever. Um, But it was consistent. And I remember after we did Top Golf, he he took in, uh, he's like, oh, my wrist hurts. And he actually had to go to the doctor because his wrist was hurting for it. So I had the opportunity to go play with him and his brother and his dad this past June up in Wisconsin on the course. And I'm like, okay, how is this going to work out? Cause <laughs> I suck at it. So like, I'm going to play like three holes consistently. And then probably once they start putting like trees and lakes in the way, I'll probably <laughs> lose the balls very fast. But like, how is this going to work for Josh? Cause I knew that hit was going to go in there. And it was like, it was one of the most fun days. We played nine holes. I did lose like a sleeve of 15 balls, like straight up. Like a, yeah, I was going to ask, it was uh, a ball. I'm- on average, how long does it take you to lose twelve golf balls? Uh, twelve holes at least. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> you're it was, a one hole guy. Well, yeah. Sometimes it's like I'll take and drive two because I think I can actually well, yeah. do something. So the whole thing, the interesting part about that uh, that uh, outing with them was there were two holes in a row that I actually had good. I got a, uh, I got a birdie and a par, like back to back. And it yeah, was that, like that makes you feel real good. It does because the birdie came from a blind chip in from about eighty yards out that went over the hole, and then I was a putt in. I was like, okay, this is this is I'm not as bad as I thought I was, and that's when that's the deception seeking in. Like you think you can play this game. The next hole, I just hit one straight, and it's off the green. And I par in, par three. And then the next hole has got like a lake on the right, a lake on the left, and some trees. And I'm like, okay, we'll see what happens. And sure enough, I, you know, pull out the big dog and bloop, bloop, (laughs) too straight into the water. I'm like, okay, (laughs) we're going to make up for lost time for getting those golf balls there. But that was a fun time. So, yeah, I mean, I, again, like I, I would probably say if I'm, if I'm having a good day, I might lose three balls, three, three in a round. Um, you know, if I I thought you said three in a hole, like that would be, no, 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 I got it. I'd be. I'd be broke um, because, you know, of course, uh, and this, here's another thing, uh, an observation that I have from, from working at a golf course is the people who have the most expensive equipment or are dressed the most like a golfer are one of two things. They are either very good and very qualified, or they are just the absolute worst at playing the game and are terrible and will, and there's, there's no middle ground. There's yeah. no, like, there's no, uh, you know, everyday golf warrior who's like, Oh, hold on. Let me go and get my Nike polo and khaki pants and let me load up all my, my $700, $800 set of clubs and go out and play. It's either you got a ton of money and you got money to blow and you might not be very good or you're a legitimately qualified golfer. There's no, there's no middle ground. I buy like the 30 or 40 pack of noodlers on the <laughs> freaking, uh, and then I go to town on that because if I lose it, I don't give a shit. Like, and they actually, they're not bad balls. Like it's like well, they're soft. So it makes it, uh, you know, if you, you're, they're a little bit more forgiving if you miss hit it, which most of us average hackers do miss hit it. Yes. So that's what happens. To <laughs> so, um, like I know that we're coming up in, what is it? Two weeks now, three weeks until Augusta. Like, are you going to watch yeah, it? Like coming right up. Yeah. Augusta is always a fun thing to watch the masters for. Are you excited for that? Like I love the masters. Um, I'm a little disappointed that, uh, tiger is not, uh, not at his peak of his powers. Um, sure. Don't think that's ever going to come back. Uh, it would be nice if he could get that last tournament to pass. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the best, one of the best golf tournaments I've ever watched. Uh, I got to watch the, um, I think it was the 2008 
U.S. Open where Tiger came. It was basically playing on a like the torn torn ligaments in his knee or whatever, and wound up you know taking it to a playoff and winning. Was that uh, the, was that the one at Medina? Uh, no, I think that was out at. Oh, where was it? I don't. It might have been at Torrey Pines, but I don't. Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. But it was against Rocco Media, and uh, I mean that was just insanity. When you find out after the fact that dude's playing with a torn ligament in his knee, and then shortly thereafter uh, you find out all about uh, Tiger Woods' personal life. Yeah. And uh, then things kind of uh, haven't recovered since. But uh, yeah, uh, I know I, I love the Masters. Uh, I, it, it's just a fantastic tournament to watch. It's a beautiful golf course. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I, I mean, I bought. Uh, one of the what I forgot it might have been PGA 2015 uh, simply because it was the first year that they brought back Augusta. Yeah, it's the first year they put it in. It was like Tiger yeah. Woods is. Uh, it was the whole thing was like the Masters and stuff. Yeah. Have you ever watched? Uh, speaking of Masters and stuff, have you ever watched the Wednesday? Like, is it Tuesday that they do the pro am and then Wednesday they do the par three tournament? The par three is awesome. The par three is amazing. Where they just sit up there and tee and how many hole in ones do they actually get? Is yep, it's freaking insane and they're totally dicking around and like as a as a person who plays primary like if i if i have the option like i don't play at expensive golf courses because i suck so i'll play at like there's a lot of decent par three courses in the chicago area that i will go play at and it's like oh yeah these guys are just dicking around and putting it you know a foot from the pin on on an average shot and i'm out there shooting you know eight over nine over par and it's like god damn it like I wish I could be cool and have a great shot, but uh, it's just not going to happen. So it gives you even more respect for it. It's like these guys are just having fun out there, putzing around, and they're still like you can see the level of talent. It's oh, just yeah. Crazy. I mean, that just shows practice makes perfect. You know, anything you can do that uh, consistently is probably a good thing. So serious question before we take in, like potentially go off to another uh, another thing is. What is the proper ratio from beer carts to bathrooms on the course? What do you think is the most important? Uh, you know, because I think that that's the key to the whole thing. It's like I remember when we went, I got, what, a six-pack for the front nine and a six-pack for the back nine? Yeah, and, I pretty much killed it. <laughs> like, we were we were fortunate. I mean, we went out on a – I mean, that was a beautiful fall day, and it wasn't a crowded course, and uh, – the, and the beer was cheap so we found a we found a gem there um yeah i mean having worked there it, it the beer cart thing is always dependent on uh what you have booked as far as groups uh, so you have to like if it's going to be a relatively full course they'll usually run a cart out on the front and a cart out on the back nine um it's usually no more than two um, and I think that's adequate because, you know, usually if you're playing at a decent pace uh, with a full course, you'll play front front and back in four, four to five hours or so. Okay. If, if everyone's playing at a decent pace, it usually never ends up being that way. Yeah. And you um, play and you get really, really thirsty. You get thirsty. But on the bathrooms thing, I mean, uh, yeah, I personally think there needs to be more. Um, when is it acceptable to pee in the woods? Um, if there's only one, I think if there's only one porta potty uh, between the first tee box and the and when you make the turn at nine, then I think any anything in in between there is acceptable to pee somewhere okay. on the course. Okay, so number ones are okay, but number twos you got to go find the house. Number twos you got to you got to drive the car back. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no hide. They don't make a product on an infomercial that uh, will hide you taking a number two on the golf course. They I, do make the Euro Club, but yeah. they do not. Uh, you cannot uh, effectively hide a, a, a dropping a dropping a deuce on the. Course. I thought that's what the whole golf towels were for. Maybe I've been using them <laughs> wrong the entire time. No, I've never pooped on a golf course. Like. <laughs> thought about it yeah. once or twice I mean, but... Uh, and i but to go back to like why you play and what what brings you back i think the worst part about golf the worst and best thing about golf is that feeling when you hit like a shot where you either surprise yourself or you do exactly what you plan to do yeah and then you're like oh shit i've got this thing i know what i'm doing here <laughs> and then you say oh yeah i'll go play again next week or i'll play again you know all oh, these guys want to go play again in a couple weeks sure why not that's where it gets you that's that's the bitch of the matter <laughs> that's totally true i think that is uh that's what gets me going every single they tie in with our previous topic because i spend a lot of time 
uh, hitting my golf ball into or at trees. But it just so happens that we are in the midst of the International Day of Forests. Ooh, forests. Like the International Day of, like, Forest Gumps? Uh, like bubblegum shrimp? There's, like There's no specification here. Okay. Uh, so, I mean... I'm I'm not gonna do the research on it. That that requires way too much work. I'm just gonna say it's the International Day of Forests. We're gonna respect and cherish all kinds of forests right now. I mean, probably the most famous forest, fictional Forest Gump. Great forest. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you go with that? I mean, if you're drafting, uh, you know, if you were to do a fantasy draft of forests, you might go with Forest Gump number one overall. Yep, I think that's true. <laughs> okay, so forests, like so. Well, how do you normally celebrate this? It's not Arbor Day. It's definitely like this is the International Day of Forests, right? So it's not yeah. Tree Day. It's not Flag Day. It's not that. It's this there. So like I think a good thing that we could talk about is like some of the big forests that we've been to that we think is like that hold near and dear to our heart. So like I think for me, um, one of like the forests and national parks that I love is well. First off, let's talk about uh, Jellystone off of. Uh, <laughs> uh, Yogi Bear. I mean, that's, that's probably campground. Uh, yeah, and as well as uh, yeah. I mean, it's a uh, that's an excellent uh, excellent decision to uh, if you if you need for your uh, you know to to bring back a little nostalgia as well as be near a forest. A Jellystone campground might not uh, might not be a bad choice. Exactly, but I think to take and go after the national forest, then the state or the national park that it's uh, that is so you know paying homage to. Uh, Yellowstone. Have you ever been to Yellowstone? I have been uh, one time, uh, oh, man. and I'm trying to get back here uh, again this year. Don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, positively gorgeous. Uh, yeah. So I lived. I lived just about an hour, maybe hour and a half north of Yellowstone for about a year or so. Um, and it is probably one of the best places in the United States to go to. It is the most. Uh, Yellowstone in northern Wyoming and southern Montana is probably one of the most uh, beautiful parts of the country in terms of you have all these volcanic mountains, you have geysers, you have actual like volcanic activity going on, and you just have the, some of the most pristine um, vistas and things working around there. And I think mm -hmm. some of the Yellowstone the stuff that's cool is like you can spend three hours sitting waiting for a bison or a buffalo to get off the road so you could pass on the two-lane highway oh, to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I've been on the other end of that. Yeah, sitting there just waiting. I remember sitting there, and my grandma got licked. Uh, one of the bisons got really too close to us in the cars. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? Get out of here. Just shoes them away. And he licks the windshield and walks off. But I think Yellowstone is one of my true favorite places that if you're looking for a place to go, I'd – Suggest that you try to go early in the season because it does get crazy during the oh, summertime. It's it's, it's irresponsible to go during the summertime. And there's one gas station in the park next to the lodge, next to Old Faithful, which is absolutely absurd. But you want to go to that, and you want to yeah. go north. You want to go out. Of the, you want to take and make sure that if you go, um, the way that I'd recommend going through it is go down through Bozeman. Mm -hmm. Take in, go through Big Sky, see that part of the area, go through West Yellowstone entrance, yep. drive through to the lake, and then go up through Gardner and see Mammoth Hot Springs, see the falls, and those are just like, it, it's breathtaking, absolutely amazing. So Yeah, and West Yellowstone is like the prime place to stay if you're not staying in the park, which getting a reservation in the park is insanely difficult. Uh, during the summer, the summer months, you might as well not even try. Yep, I uh, stayed at that lodge once. It yeah, is, it is it's insane. It's absolutely nuts. To tr I mean, the and the prices are expensive. It's expensive to go in the summer. Bottom line, if you're staying in West Yellowstone, it's expensive. West Yellowstone has a little bit more as far as amenities. There's restaurants. Right. And like that. Speaking uh, of restaurants, it's got the only the to my knowledge, it's got the only drive-through mcdonald's that allows snowmobiles to actually go through it in the winter <laughs> time of course been out that way snowmobiling before and that's uh that's a whole different thing I mean, yeah with the amount of snow that they get and then you just are just going up the side of a mountain it's like here you go <laughs> like, yeah and yeah. i mean it's a beautiful forest but a lot of it still is taken and not uh recovered from the fire back in the 80s and all that yeah. so and, which, it's I mean, yeah, you surprising can clearly see the areas that have been burnt out i mean that's part of part of healthy forest though is, is i mean that happens obviously there's 
uh, negative aspects to it as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, uh, uh, you, they're just clear sections where you can just see areas where, you know, maybe less than a quarter mile away, it's lush, you know, lush trees and forests and stuff. And then just another part that's completely, you know, cleared out almost from, from fire. Yeah. So what's a, what's a forest that you like going to? Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite and, uh, approximately a two and a half, three hour drive from uh, where I'm sitting right now, uh, would be Yosemite national park and going out that way. Uh, you have not only, uh, just the beautiful, uh, Yosemite Valley, which you can't put into words how great, great it is. You come, if you come through the tunnel view entrance, um, and just opens up into this valley and you can see El Capitan, you can see half dome in the background, you can see waterfalls. Uh, it's, you, you just drive through and you just kind of sit there and stare because, uh, there's nothing else you can really do. It's awe striking. Uh, but, uh, the, the forest aspect of that, if you go out into the Mariposa Grove, which has been closed for a little while now, uh, but uh, they have some giant sequoias out there. And, I mean, to sit around these trees where it is straight up, I mean, it, it takes 30 to 45 seconds to walk the circumference of the tree. Jeez. Um, I mean, it's just like, I mean, they're not the tallest trees in the world. They're huge, but they're the biggest by volume. And, uh going there and down a little bit further to Sequoia National Park. Uh, I mean, it's just, you you can't possibly, like, comprehend it until you see it. Like, you, you can see pictures and stuff, and you think, oh, yeah, that's a big tree. And then when you get in front of one of these things, and you're just like, oh, why? <laughs> like, why is it the way it is? Yeah. Um, it but, yeah, I mean, Yosemite, I've had a couple fantastic trips out there. It too is another place that gets absolutely ludicrous to try and go to in the summer. Well, um, if you're going out there, don't you need to have like if you're going to do like half dome or something like that, you have to be certified to take and do those trips, or um, you have to take in dome, for half dome. You don't have to be like there's no like certification. You have to have a permit. Um, to yeah, go that's up. what I thought it was a permit or something. In order, and that's really only to go from the ropes up to the top. You can hike the okay. trail all the way through to that point without a permit but if you want to go up to the top you have to have a permit they issue something like 300 a day i think uh which like 200 or so go to permit people that like you apply for online right and right right i think they reserve a small chance a small portion for people who are through hiking or who are just day use permits so uh, so you're saying just recommendation is to just plan ahead if you're going to try to go there like yeah i, I mean if you're if you want to get to the top of half dome you 100 percent should and you're coming from a place that it's like you don't have, like, I mean, for us, like, we could go out there and try to go out there and just get a day-use permit and just go up from there. But if you're coming from across the country and, like, that's one of the centerpieces of your trip, you damn well better get on the lottery, put right, it in right. if you want, plan it out, because uh, otherwise you're not going to get up there. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, it's going to be tough for you to even get close to it, yeah. Yeah, but there's other fantastic hikes. I mean, I've done the, uh, they call it the four-mile trail, which goes up from the valley floor up to Glacier Point, uh, which is you get a fantastic view. It's across from Half Dome. So you get up to about 70, I don't know, 7,600, 7,700 feet. It's about 2,800 feet of vertical climb and about four and a half miles of hiking. Okay, um, okay. Very strenuous. It's a, it's a hell of a hike, uh, but it is one of probably the best hikes that if you, I mean, you just have to be in a reasonable uh um, level of fitness you don't have to be like some mountaineer or anything like that I mean, it's a, it's a you trail. don't have to, you don't have to be bear grills or anything like no, that. no god no uh, you, you carry a backpack you bring water you bring a couple snacks and you make up to the top yeah uh, you know you'll you'll sweat your ass off going up going down is tough too uh but you get down to the bottom you eat a huge meal you go to sleep uh, you, you chill out you, you relax and uh the, the views are well worth it for sure, for sure. I know that um, one of the places that I'd also recommend people to check out on our, you know, from our, I guess would be our just places that we've been to is like if you're on the East Coast, um, it might not seem like a natural thing to go check out, but going to check out the Smoky Mountains. I mean, they just did have a fire this past year um, that pretty much tore a lot of Gatlinburg up, but like going through Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountains and oh, yeah. that part of um, Tennessee is absolutely gorgeous. Like for some of the hiking, I remember 
it's been a long time since I've been there, but we did a hike there and I remember my dad's like, Oh, I'm gonna have a little sip of water and he drank it from the river and he felt horrible for several days. So don't <laughs> do that. Don't do that. Like no, take a that's, lesson that's there. a why uh, a, a not a very good thing to do with uh, you should always if you're if you're taken out of a water stream, even if it's uh, moving water, you're gonna wanna treat it just to be sure. Yeah. But one of the things that um he did on that trip or on the trips that we've done there is He's done like whitewater rafting on the rivers and just the hiking in general, the Smoky Mountains. It's like it's not as, um, you know, it's like not as crazy as going through like the Rockies. I can imagine hiking the Rockies is absolutely insane, but nice serene vistas and all that stuff. And fun, fun. Talk about miniature taking and making a segue back there. They have miniature golf courses in the forest. So <laughs> let alone that you get International Forest Day, you get miniature golf courses. So you can we match. might have to take a uh, do a remote podcast on there because I'm a miniature golf fiend and I also enjoy hiking. It's been a long time since I've been there. But from what I've heard is Gatlinburg is the Las Vegas of the Smoky Mountains. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I've been uh, last time I was down that way. Uh, I went to Knoxville. Yep, uh, Yep. Just up the road. Yeah, uh, a couple. I mean, we stayed outside of Knoxville uh, with with friends. We were going down to a concert in uh, Knoxville, um, and uh, my my girlfriend Jackie used to go down to University of Tennessee to basketball camp. For sure, Thompson Bowling Arena. Uh, so she's very familiar with the area, and uh, so we, you know, we had a nice trip down that way. And yeah, it's positively gorgeous. Um, there's, uh, it, it is one of the more visited parks, uh, just because it's so close to population centers. Yeah. But uh, everything is very accessible. Everything, I mean, you can, and you can really go out there and, and experience. I mean, that's probably more of a true forest, too. Yeah. Because everything is very lush there. Every, it's kind of just rolling hills. It's not these huge 10,000 to, you know, 14,000 foot mountains like you have in Colorado right, or right, right. Wyoming. Um, so you definitely have a little bit of a different experience. You can still get elevation. I mean, you can still go up to 3,000 to maybe the top elevation out that way is maybe five to 6,000 feet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, a, it's a different kind of beauty and uh, it's definitely something to uh, uh, throw in there. If, if you're heading down that way to, uh, you know, go, go through the park, do a little hiking, get out there and experience it a little bit because it is, uh, it's truly gorgeous. I mean, if you go up to Klingman's dome, you can take in, which is in the park, yeah. uh, the elevation up there, what I'm reading right now, is 6,600 feet. So that's yeah, that nothing. That's nothing to shake a stick at when you consider that. Um, you know, no, when you're in Chicago, it's you're at 692 feet or something like that. Yeah, if that, like, I know that the highest par- point in Cook County is in Mount Prospect because my dad tells me about that. It's like, it's like 72 feet above sea level or something <laughs> like that. It's absolutely crazy. But yeah, I mean. That's like the Smoky Mountains and the Appalachians are some places like people like don't look at that as actual being like really real mountains. Like I want to take and actually go to like the Adirondacks and then also up to uh, like into Vermont and New Hampshire. I've never been up in there in terms Gorgeous. of the mountains up there. Um, I've done some maple yeah, not syrup, a, not a ton of hiking, but I've driven through and I, I stayed in Vermont um, and then drove down through New York and in the Adirondacks. And actually, I've driven up like Interstate 87 all the way up into Quebec. Um, and it's, I mean, all that area is just awesome. Um, yeah, I can't recommend that enough. Um, it's again, it's not crazy high elevations or anything like that, but, uh, you're, it's not like you're fighting for a view out there. Right. And, and it's mu- much less, um, inhabited. There's not a ton of stuff going on there. I mean, there's, there's still people, but, uh, it's not crazy where you're, you know, you're kind of have the theme park atmosphere. You can definitely get away a little bit more when you go out there. Yeah. It's not like a, there's a, it's not a forest, but I, you know, I guess you could say it's a forest of cactuses, but I think it would be pretty cool to go out and see Sedona in Arizona is cool. Um, the actually if you get out towards like flagstaff though you can definitely get into some forest flagstaff is awesome oh yeah um, we we drove up from from sedona into into flagstaff a couple years back and that is i mean you're up there in elevation too i mean there's there's parts of flagstaff i think you're at you're you're up a mile high yeah yeah at least at least five to six thousand feet up there um it, it gets uh it's it's awesome um and, and sedona is very impressive it's a different type of forest you know 
It's a forest. Well, I mean, there's there's forests out there, but uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's it's different. It's good it's good to experience all the different uh, uh, aspects of that, though. I mean, you you kind of get used to you get that kind of thought of oh, this is what a forest is like based on wherever you grow up and what what you see. You go to a forest reserve or state park, um, but there are so many variations out there. It's it's really good to go out and check out as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh. And this this talk about forests, I wanted to continue on here, and I want to have this episode continue on, but it's tearing up my heart that we have come to the final part of this song, or we have come to the final part of this episode, Arcade McNown episode, our ESPN The Ocho. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us for episode eight. I guess I just said that seven times in a row, but I want to emphasize that. It's an awesome episode. Um, again, we are more than happy that you continue to be around and listening to the podcast. And thank you again for the love and support, but please do us a huge favor. Steve, what should they do? They should like us on Facebook. Okay. If they will. They should follow us on Twitter. If they will, maybe, uh, you know, give us, you know, check us out on, uh, oh, this podcast.com. Get, uh, get, uh, previous episodes, get, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a bio on, uh, my good man, Patrick and I, and then also, uh, if you're so inclined, uh, check us out on Patreon. Uh, throw us a couple bones. Uh, maybe uh, see if you're interested in making me uh, review the fine feature film, Grease. Awesome, awesome. And on the Patreon side of things, we have multiple different reward levels and support levels for us. If you donate certain amounts, you might be able to take and get your name in the credits. And also, you might be able to take and take Steve's job away for a week and pick the beer of the week for us Ooh, coming you forward. Could, you could subject us to any number of things. If you want us to drink Mickey's, like you can actually have that. We'll do that review. I'm not. We'll, we'll go buy grenades. We're not scared. We're not scared. So again, thank you for joining us for Oh This Podcast, Episode Eight. I'm Steve. I'm Patrick. And we are out. Have a great evening, everybody. Enjoy International Tree Day, Forest Day. <laughs> Adios. Adios, man.